All right. Let me know when you get OBS going. But but I will say, the espresso machine, it is, uh, I, I don't think I can live without it, man. Like, coffee pot, cool. French press, cool. Um, mocha pot, cool. Air, air, what do you call it? Air yeah. press yep. thingamajig Aero, thing, cool. Arrow yeah. press, yeah. that's what it's called. Um, and then uh, there's, there's, oh, pour over, cool. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing beats an espresso machine, dude. Mm. Oh, oh, it's so good. So this is your show. Uh, you're good with the uh, the intro? We interrupt you. Oh, no. yeah, I wrote some stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Mozilla Watch, of course. The audacity of audacity. The audacity. <laughs> the tenacity of audacity. The tenacity of the audacity of audacity. Because <laughs> yeah, we, we can make, make that waves. one go forever, right? We mm-hmm. make waves with our app. Pretty sure I've got horrible, horrible takes on everything. Good. I'll counter. Everything. I have I have no other reasons to hold us up. Coming up on this episode of Linux User Space, we interrupt you for a public service. Our favorite Mozilla watch, the tenacity of audacity, and we make waves with our app. And welcome to season two, episode two. Uh, yes, that's oh. the one. Yeah. Oh, you I, you were waving high. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, I was waving. I thought high you were stopping me. I thought you were like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. You can't on. see me waving in the podcast, but you can see me waving on YouTube.com. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> we'll start that one over again. Uh. Hello, and welcome to season two, episode two of Linux User Space. I'm Dan, and I'm Leo. Ooh. And Dan, you've uh, you've got you've piqued my interest. You were talking in the pre-show about uh, Docker business, uh, <laughs> reverse proxying, and all kinds of crazy stuff. What 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 even what even is any of this? All right, so I've been messing around a little bit with traffic, which is a reverse proxy, but it's a reverse proxy, not just for Docker, but is really in tune with uh, Docker. So I know you are very interested in Docker and been been messing mm-hmm. around with some containers. Um, so first, what is a reverse proxy? All right, so that takes your requests from the internet and then it passes them down to your your things behind, you know, so it sits in front of all that, right? It it handles all your requests. It can be your your uh, SSL or or TLS termination point. So it can handle all of your certificates for your things so that you can, you can do encrypted, uh, you know, traffic between your clients and the servers, which is really important. That kind of ties into the whole let's encrypt jazz, right? So you're able to use let's encrypt certificates with this? It does. So traffic handles all of your let's encrypt, uh, certificates for you. Um, for all of the services that you put behind it as a, re- you know, it behind the reverse proxy, it handles all of those certificates for each one that you stand up. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. So a lot of people, especially people that run services at home, will use a reverse proxy yep. to allow 
um, you know, to, to run like a website or to do various internet things like run a Nextcloud service from home, and they'll use that reverse proxy to capture yep. whatever internet traffic is coming to it. That way, you don't, you don't necessarily have your Nextcloud server sitting for real out on the internet. Uh, that reverse proxy is at least one one step away. Yep, adds a layer, and it um, can take uh, those requests coming in. You can have uh, one IP address with multiple DNS names, and it can see that you, you know, you're coming in looking at a certain DNS name, and then send it off to the service that it needs to go off to. Right, because so, before, I mean, had you been doing this before, it was basically IP address, and then you had a port number, and if right. you needed more than that, you were kind of you kind of were out of luck. You had to have another IP address to attach those ports to. And this reverse proxy kind of simplifies all that, allows you to say, you know, yeah. nextcloud.leochavez.org. Yep. And then it takes you right where you need to go, even if that server is hosted at home or in DigitalOcean or wherever you're running your stuff, right? So here's another great thing, whereas traffic as you, you know, you're in Docker as a reverse proxy has an API. So it will look at, the the other Docker containers that you have stood up what? in there, and you apply some labels to the applications that you have running, and for each one of those that you add, it uh, it does the reverse proxying for you, well, almost automatically. Um, not quite though. Ah. So it's really really great. Uh, they go hand in hand, very close. So I'm 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 already interested. So okay, so you're running this reverse proxy thing that that will route traffic for you to all your various things. What various things are you routing traffic to? Well, right now, what am I running? Yeah. Not much. <laughs> I'm really Listen, just going to handle trying... on it. I've got a couple of little things uh, stood up. Um, one of them that I did was uh, the, the company that's behind um, traffic is called Containus, and they have one that's called a Who Am I um, container. And then... Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I'm looking at doing is I'm looking at moving, I'm actually looking at moving my next cloud into Docker and uh, using using this as the reverse proxy into that. Very um, cool. So yeah, I have a couple of things. Oh, I have a portainer um, container stood up too, which is, you use that to manage your Docker things. So I've, I've got a couple of little things that I've got there that I'm really just messing around with right now, but uh, trying to get a feel of it, how it all works. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's my ultimate goal. Probably stand that's up next. That's pretty club. cool. So yeah. I'm probably gonna have to uh, lurk behind you as you do all of this stuff because while I love the snap of Nextcloud, mm -hmm. one of the things that it does not great is self signed certificates because mm -hmm. every single time there's an upgrade, it seems like the self signed certificate changes. Mm -hmm. So it yes. makes everything mad. Everything that you have already connected up to it is mad now because I have, the certificate is different. I have noticed the same thing, and especially so with my phone, it seems like. so. Yes. Oh, that big red bar? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that, you, you got, no. That's no. the thing that I want to you know, sync automatically without my intervention, honestly, right? So like my pictures and my contacts both go into NextCloud you know, without me thinking about it until... It updates on its own because it's a snap and, uh, you know, the certificate changed and I have to go in and accept it again. Right. Because the, the, you, you kind of hit it on the head with that one, the, the phone thing. I, mm -hmm. I, I need my photos to dump and mm -hmm. I don't want to have to like press OK like 14 times mm -hmm. to make it do that. 
I mean, I already have to keep the app open the whole time because that's just how the app works. That's fine, whatever. But the fact that you got to deal with the certificate jazz if it's self-signed is kind of annoying. Yep. So, mm, yeah, that's that's something I would like to fix, and I think you can fix that. I mean, yeah, with, sure with this can. reverse proxy, you could just slap a Let's Encrypt cert on yeah. it. Well, and you can actually and, put a Let's Encrypt on your NextCloud Snap if you wanted to and wanted it exposed to the internet. Right. That, and that's my thing. That's where I drew the line. Yeah. I, I didn't want it attached to the internet, so there was no way I could really do a Let's Encrypt thing. So it's it was self-signed or nothing, and I didn't want nothing. Right. But, man, the amount of headache it gives me sometimes makes me think, I don't need encryption, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. No. No, I can't go that far. No, no. Encryption is really important, especially for your personal information. I feel like that's that's the only way to be. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. The other thing that really gives me grief is uh, GNOME will allow you to uh, attach a Nextcloud account. And oh, yeah. the last time I was I was doing a uh, a live stream for Mintcast, it kept popping up the little thing. Hey, this Nextcloud certificate, and it's like really in yeah. the middle of every. And I have to, and it and it wouldn't ever accept. I would say, yeah, yeah. accept forever. And then it was like, no, no, no. Uh, we we need you to press that again. Why? <laughs> Yeah. Why? I said that, forever, that was, right? Yeah, no. Yeah. 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 And so I, I guess it was a conflict between the old cert and the new cert, and Gnome was getting all weirded out about it. And it just, it was so annoying. It finally <laughs> stopped, but <sighs> yeah. I just yeah. want one self signed cert that does not change. That's, that's what I want. Yeah. And then, well, then you have the whole, all the browsers bark at you for uh, having a self signed cert because, uh, you know, it's it, in, unless you import the certificate into your trusted certificate, you know, place, um, they'll all complain because it's not in, you know, the Internet of things. So, but at, yeah, <laughs> at the very least with that one, when you say accept cert, yeah. it will accept the cert yeah. on the phone. It's hit or miss on on GNOME. It's hit or miss. But with the browser, at least when I press go, it goes. Yeah. yeah so I'm, it, I'm okay there. It, it does add it. But like, but if you use a different browser, different computer, whatever, right. you're all over again, right? Yeah. I, I, I get that, and I, I understand why that is, but it's the same phone every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I, I suggest you check that out. I mean, I know you're really into uh, Docker stuff these days, and yeah. uh, I know I don't know what other things you have. Uh, well, you're Gitty. Um, yep. You can run my, that. My fresh RSS. Yep. You can run those things behind uh, traffic and it'll it'll have a certificate for it. It'll automatically do it for you. That's super duper cool. I'm definitely going to dive into that. Yeah. It, it It's it's not. Yeah, it's 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 not terribly hard. I, I feel like you could you could definitely do it if you're spinning these other things up. This isn't Dan, that much more. Dan, all right. I was I was very confident a minute ago that I was going to be able to do all of this. And then you said. It's not the way you said it. I think it was oh, I'm not sorry. very hard. <laughs> and now, now I feel like it's just going to be impossible, and I'm going to be scratching my head at no. four o'clock in the morning, cursing you, Dan. Well, you might, but <sighs> no, I don't think so on this one. <laughs> Why did you tell me about this? No, no, yeah. I, I, I think uh, this is in your wheelhouse. I really do. I dig it. Up next is a uh, public service announcement. If you're running Ubuntu or uh, one of the flavors uh, of 2010, 
you should uh, look at upgrading as soon as possible, especially after this uh, episode releases. Uh, I believe it's Thursday after the episode releases. We're going to release on Monday. That Thursday, end of life, 2010. And uh, you need to upgrade to 2104. That'd be the next. That, that That's the upgrade path. That was the gorilla. Yeah, no more groovy gorilla. Oh, that was the best one. But we're going to move on to the Man. hippo. The hirsute yeah. hippo. The hairy yeah. hippo guy. I, I heard the opinions on the uh, image of that one. Yeah. I, I just really enjoyed the gorilla. Uh, oh, I mean, it's super fun, I, I, right? Well, I there's mean, there's been a few it's, of it's, them that have been super fun. So, Disco Dingo, that was that yes. guy was pretty cool. And uh, the ermine, Ewan Ermin, I thought he just kind of looked good. And then uh, Groovy Gorilla, yeah, those are those are some of my favorites. So, Disco Dingo is, is my absolute favorite, mm. absolute favorite. But Groovy Gorilla. Uh, that that one's got a special. Well, number one because it's groovy. I mean, already yeah. that's awesome. But no, but the other thing was that um, Ubuntu ran a contest on Twitter asking what you've done with the new because gro- Groovy oh, Gorilla yeah. was the first time that Raspberry Pi had um, had had a full real Ubuntu release yep. and everything worked right. So uh, yeah, I was one of the first few uh, folks. I mean, because I, I use it to do a couple of episodes uh, of a podcast. So yeah, I, I sent that in and they sent me a shirt. So I have a Groovy Gorilla shirt that nice. I'm not wearing today that it should have been uh, in honor of uh, all of this. But uh, yeah, anyway, so it's it's just a little extra close to my heart. Well, you can, you can wear it on Thursday and then, you know. Ah, I will. So we can see him off yeah. one last time. So I'll have ah. some links in the show notes um, Yeah. on, on uh, the announcement. And uh, yeah, and then uh, but make sure and, and upgrade. Here's why we're actually going to touch on this in a later topic. But um, keeping up to date is very important to uh, mitigate vulnerabilities and uh, security yeah. problems. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you mean you mean like Windows and Print Nightmare and how it took about three separate patches to fix it? Yeah, and maybe still not <laughs> quite a hundred percent, right? Yeah, no. Look, man, just turn your print spooler off. That's that's the answer. Well, it is the answer. Um, certainly don't turn it on where you don't need it. And like yeah. uh, the one thing that they warned you about, and I'm like wondering why it was even enabled in the first place, was your domain controller. Yeah, don't do that. Oh, there. yeah. <laughs> why is the print spooler on the domain controller? Yeah, Stop what? attaching what? things to your domain controller. It does domain controlling. That's what it does. Yeah. One purpose, please. Yeah. Well, Groovy Gorilla, press F in the chat, give it a salute, shed one tear, uh, we will see you again sometime. So do you normally uh, up, you know, follow the upgrade path, or do you uh, nuke and pave, Leo? I used to be a staunch nuke and paver. I was ruined so many times with, uh, with mostly with Windows upgrades, mm. and so that kind of burrowed into my brain when I moved over to Linux. And so I avoided it there too. But I mean, now I just I just upgrade. Things just mm. work. I've I've run on. Uh, I mean, mostly it's the Ubuntu's, and I, I feel like it's a lot of the work of the Ubuntu folks that that make this so amazing. Um, and on the Fedora side too, I've, I've yeah, upgraded Fedora's on Fedora too. Excellent as well. But those two ecosystems, I have no qualms about upgrading anymore. I'll it it feels like a regular update to me mm-hmm. that requires me to reboot. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'll I'll agree uh, wholeheartedly. I generally uh, follow the upgrade path as well. In fact, I upgraded my uh, work machine today, 
And uh, yeah, and that machine has started off at uh, 1810 and uh, is now on 2104. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, that's gone really well for me. Um, you know, of course, usual caveats back up uh, before you do this and make mm-hmm. sure you have a good backup before you proceed. But uh, yeah, I've had very good luck. Uh, it, it's uh, it's always gone well. One thing you have to do in Ubuntu is if you have any uh, you know repositories that you've added, they will get disabled in the upgrade, and then you just have to re-enable them after the fact. Right, right. So this kind of leads me to one thing that I've been tinkering around with over the past week or so, and that is ButterFS. So. Oh. I mean, it's every single kernel, I swear, there's about a laundry list of Mm. things that ButterFS does better this time. Oh, yeah. And so it's got me really interested in, I mean, just just running it. Mm -hmm. So the the real reason that I that I wanted to run it was the the snapshots. Yeah. I mean, those are inherent to ButterFS. You don't need any external software to handle it. I think Snapper does a great job of doing that. But time shift is easy. Yeah. So, um. I've I've used TimeShift for a long time in Linux Mint uh, using rsync to roll back, and that has worked the majority of the time. Um, I, and I, I've had it where some stuff didn't actually restore correctly. So mm. um, it's been kind of wishy-washy for me on that. But every time I've been on a ButterFS system and I've used TimeShift, everything is amazing. Mm. Everything is picture perfect. I mean, the 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 backups take no time at all. The restores. I swear they're even faster than the backups. And the, the entire experience is just very easy. Yeah, it's mainstream and at this point. It, it really is. And I was worried about, uh, I had to test this out in a VM, but I was worried about setting up ButterFS in general and whether or not it was going to set up the sub-volumes so that TimeShift could take advantage of them and split root and home and all this kind of weird jazz that you got to do with ButterFS to make uh, the snapshots work properly. Um, but it turns out, if you you just make your partitions that like you normally would, and your main partition just mark it as ButterFS. Don't do anything special. Don't cut it up any. One partition for yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. Mark it ButterFS. When you install, you immediately have your root volume and a sub volume for home. Yeah, making it, it super trivial yep. to do those those quick time shift backups. I think you nailed it. One partition, and then the sub volumes get created for you, which is yeah. is kind of great, and because. Honestly, do you need to be backing up all of those other sub volumes like you do your home one? Your home one is really important, right? And that's the one that you really want to target because that's that's where all your stuff is. I'm I'm the opposite actually. So really? I mean my, my home my okay. home gets backed up differently. My home gets backed up to Nextcloud. So I'm not too worried about okay. much of that stuff. I'm worried about when I do something stupid in the system and I don't want to have to reinstall. Well it's nice having um, those things too. Yeah, absolutely. I'll yes. agree with you. But the the great thing about a time shift backup versus something like an rsync backup is that you have uh well it seems like the differential backup in time shift mm-hmm. works way way better. So I mean what what that means is it only it only keeps track of the changes to the files as opposed to just copying the files. Right. And so time shift I mean the backups are way smaller and I think that is really the reason why it takes so little time to backup and restore because all it's doing is Re- rolling back the changes that have happened instead of replacing right. whole files. And essentially, I'm doing that as well. I'm using Restic. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but that does incremental mm-hmm. backups. As, and, and so I can copy, you know, 
my home partition or whatever I want. I can, it, mm-hmm. you can, you can tell it which folders basically to back up and mm-hmm. it does incremental uh, backups. So, and, and you can mount that. Um, you can, you can mount that backup if you will and pull stuff off Whoa. at any time. Um, if you really dork it up, you can mount it from a live ISO even. It, it's, it's, wow. it's that, it's that good. Um, so it's very similar to what you're doing. It's just a little different. Yep. And, and I've always, I've always appreciated time shift. I was so excited when it got added to, to Linux Mint by default. And now, um, I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit to just upgrade everything to mm-hmm. ButterFS. Everything is ext4. So the yeah. whole reason I brought this up was because of the question of nuke and pave. Mm. And I normally upgrade, but in a case like this, oh, yeah. I would rather just, you uh, can uh, I, convert, convert file systems. I don't know right. how much I recommend that. I, you're right. Probably starting over again if you're going to change your file systems is not a bad right. idea. Exactly, because I because not only would I have to convert, I would also have to uh, create those sub volumes mm-hmm. and Manually. mount them properly and all yeah all by hand. I don't trust myself enough <laughs> to do that. I'll let the system handle that. Sure. So yeah, for sure, man. That's but fair. It. It looks super cool. I'm so excited. The reason that got me on it was because 5.13 had some SSD mm. speedups with ButterFS, and mm, I'm just so excited to, to I mean, eventually get everything over to it. It'll be cool. It's time for our Mozilla Watch. Mozilla Watch! And so, uh, big announcement, actually. Um, uh, uh, version 90? 90? Say that? That's been released. 9.0. Yeah. One little caveat with that. Uh, no more FTP for you. No more. No more. We're done. Absolutely done. You are insecure. Well, sort of. Well, it, it kind of is. FTP needs to go away in general, but that's a different... It yeah. does. Yeah, I get you. We have we have SFTP now. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah. For the past two decades, so... <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, it, you know it, maybe, maybe it's time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, most operating systems will handle that with some application, at, you know, somewhere. I mean, look, if you have to, uh, PowerShell has SSH and SFTP built mm-hmm. in. It does. So, I mean, if if it comes down to it, you're like, I don't want a GUI thing. I don't want WinSCP. Let me just use the command line. It works. Mm-hmm. Totally works. Or you could just use WSL or something, right? right? And, so, and macOS has it as well. So, I mean. Right, yeah, right. So, everybody in. supports it. It does now. Let's, 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 yeah, I think this is, this is the last push because um chromium got rid of it back in 80s one of their 80 something versions yep. as well isn't that right i think and so so yeah. Mo- mozilla's actually slow to the party so they they have been they had been supporting ftp for a lot longer than a lot of other folks well it hasn't been on you had to go in there and, and fiddle with some things you know in some flags and and turn it back on because they've had it off for a little while um mm-hmm. they actually talked about this uh over a year ago um, yeah. So this has been in the works for a bit. So it shouldn't be a shock to anybody. Um, but it, yeah, it's... if you cared about this, I I would assume that the internet was super outraged back in March of 2020 when it was proposed. Yeah. And then again in April 2020 when it was announced that it was going to happen. And then again uh, around March of 2021 when Firefox 88, their uh, the nightlies and the betas for those didn't have it enabled yeah and then i guess you we can finally the last time we can finally be outraged about ftp going away in firefox 90 yeah and and honestly <laughs> what are you doing ftp in your browser for yeah uh, filezilla exists um but i don't know like t- tons of things exist yeah i just, just don't know it's, uh it just seems like a 
not a great tool to be using. Right. I mean, TLS 1.0 still exists. Does it mean we should still use it? Right. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, so one one of the things that I think got people kind of in a tizzy was that um, the browser settings.ftp protocol enabled in the about config in Firefox, that doesn't do anything anymore. You used to be able to go into about if you really wanted FTP, right? You used to be able to go yep. into about.config. You used to find this particular thing. You used to set it to true. And then you could still do it. And it wouldn't bother you about it anymore. But now it's just a placebo. It won't do anything. Yep. You turn it to true, and it'll just ignore it because that is a read-only value anymore. So mm, kind of sad, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think me and Dan both agree. It was it was time. FTP should have been put to bed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's kind of nice that at least in the browsers, it's pretty much done. Yeah, exactly. But don't fear. Don't fear. There is a new protocol handler for FTP that Firefox exposes to extensions. So if you really want it, if yeah. you absolutely have to have it. You know, there's a lot of extensions that you can add. I don't know if it's one I'm going to add, but yeah, you can add an extension probably and, and do all that if all you right. really I, I wanted to. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that there is no actual FTP in my life. There are file transfers, but none of them are over that particular protocol. So I, I do appreciate that. So this won't affect me too terribly much. No. But if you're still FTP and this is uh this'll hit you. Hey, I've uh I grew up on that, so I understand where you're coming from. But mm -hmm. uh oh yeah. Long longer the days. Yep, definitely so. And they made another switch too. They they've uh so they switched off FTP and they switched on DNS over HTTPS in Canada, Canada, Canada. Yeah, the That's Canada. The well, they've had it on here in the U.S. for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So now it's switched on in Canada. Yes. So in Canada, they have the uh, Canadian Internet Registration Authority. They have joined Mozilla's TRR program, which is the Trusted Recursive Resolver program. This is basically Mozilla's stamp of approval on, yeah, you can do DNS for the masses. And it, for, for those of you that have never heard of the TRR, uh, the idea with that is they, they require you to follow three rules to be one of their recursive resolvers. And one of those is limiting data collection and retention, uh, ensuring transparency for any data re retention that does occur and limiting any potential use of the resolver to block access or modify content. So they don't want you changing where you're going. You know, if you type in google.com, it takes you to google.com, not some modified version somewhere else or something like that. I think all of those are, are very good things. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a good thing. It, I, I, I know it, it prompts you when you first... Uh, open up mm -hmm. Firefox for the first time. It says, do you want to, you know, enable this secure DNS over HTTPS uh, lookup? And so you, you can, you can opt in or opt out at that time uh, when it first comes up. Yeah. I think technically it's an opt out because yeah, it's on by default and you just say, okay, but the other right. option is turn it off. Right, and it goes away real quick, right, if you don't click right. on it. But you can right. you can opt out at that time if you're right. quick enough. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, I think that's, that's the right way to do opt-ins and opt-outs, especially mm -hmm. when it has to do with your personal data, right? And, I mean, anything, any website that you type into the address bar is your personal data. And so the first launch, 
as long as you read the box, right? They're very upfront with yep. what they are going to do with this. And, you know, I, th- I think overall, DOH is a good thing. Yeah, I got some feelings on it, but... Oh, boy. Before we leave this, uh, we'll, you uh, wrote this in here, and it says uh, 1% of the Canadian uh, Firefox users will see this change uh, this month here in July. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to gradually ramp up until everybody gets it in September. That's it. That's it. So, I mean, uh, the Canadian Internet Registration Authority um, are not the only options, right? Cloudflare and mm. XDNS are also going to be options. Um, so you, you have choice. It doesn't have to be them, which is Uh, good, but what, what do you think about DNS over HTTPS in general? What do you think it does right? What do you think it does wrong? Well, I think it's a great thing for those that don't have another solution, but for me, I set up DNS on my machines to go to the places that I want them to go to. And I do it on a per machine basis. I don't want my browser, you know, dictating, where you know which dns it's going to use um i want my browser to follow the rest of my system that at least that's mm-hmm. my personal opinion on it i don't think these are bad dns options to use um but having some local dns things happening here on my network i'd i'd, I'd rather i'd rather it stuck with my system if that makes sense to you I see. Yeah, I do. And because uh, I have the same stuff, I have a lot of, I mean, I've, I don't know, I've got at least a dozen domain names running around here. Right. But I've never run into any issues with it. D- DOH is on, I never turn it off on any of the Firefox mm-hmm. machines. I think Cloudflare is the default. Um, but my local DNS uh, records are always prioritized over anything else. I think the the one right. caveat with that is if I type in my DNS name and put a forward slash at the end of it, it will always go local. Always. Yep. I don't know. I just, I don't, I'd rather it didn't mess with that, right? That that's, Well, it's a control thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, y- like, I, you, I set it up for you, a reason, and I want it to right. follow that, please. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think it does by it default. I don't do any kind does. of weird shenanigans. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, like here and at work, both places... I, you know, I've got custom DNS things that I want it to follow. So please do that. Right. Well, I mean, at work, you've got another argument, uh, especially when you're doing like uh, content inspection or DNS inspection mm. or just kind of get an idea of uh, where folks are spending their time throughout the day or something like that. Um, so, I mean, there's an argument there because if you obfuscate uh, yeah. your DNS searches, which is what DOH kind of does, it, I mean, it, it's, it's obfuscated between you. And whoever you've chosen, and if you didn't right. choose anybody, it's Cloudflare or in uh, in Canada as the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. Um, they will know. Right. Uh, technically, they will know. But they're not collecting so think, it according right. to the agreement, which is right. great. And so where I love the idea of, of DOH is on my phone, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm out oh. and about and like in a public setting. Like, mm-hmm. I know it obfuscates that. Right. But that's kind of the idea. Like you get on a public land of any sort, something you don't yes. trust and don't control, then I think this is a great thing. Absolutely. So would you. OK, so if you were on a public Wi-Fi or something mm-hmm. like you went to Starbucks, you yep. you brought your laptop out because I don't know, for some reason, you're just going to do a bunch of work there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what would what would you rather have? Would you rather have a VPN or would you rather have DOH? Uh, well, I'd like at least DOH. And mm-hmm. maybe my VPN too, depending on what kind of work things I'm doing, right? Got but if it. I'm just surfing yeah. some web pages and stuff, 
I'd kind of like to, you know, not leave that with the coffee shop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, DOH is my bare minimum. I, I would, mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. And I think it's, it's a good thing in general. Yep. Because, uh, I mean, you, you're, you're. It's just like a VPN, though, right? I mean, you're, you're shifting trust. You do. You're, yeah, absolutely. You, but the, the most important thing about DOH, though, is that it encrypts your DNS queries. Yes. So if anybody were to gather up this data from you, they wouldn't be able to figure out what it actually was or what it meant or where you went or even that it was necessarily DNS. Right. So Yeah, it's a couple layers down too, right? Because it's not going to be, if you're at the coffee shop, it's not going to be the coffee shop. It's not going to be their internet service provider. And it might not even be their internet service provider, depending on how many layers deep you are. So it's right. going to be and way far down before anybody can read into that. Right. And the alternative is DNS as it exists today, which mm-hmm. is, you know, your That's in the wide open. Regular old. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that means that every single place that that packet hits, it it is it's discoverable. Not that it, it's discoverable. Yeah, it's, it's discoverable. That's the word. There you go. So not necessarily that anybody's looking at it, just that it can be looked at yeah, totally uh, if anybody available. cared to. Yep. Mm-hmm. So overall, I think DOH is good. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction. DOH is not the end of the story. I feel like DOH is going to be one prong in a multi-pronged way to just make our privacy a priority. I appreciate that Microsoft, they were the first to enable DOH and then slowly Chrome and Brave and everybody else decided to add that function. Well, Chromium. Uh, decided to add that functionality in there. So I appreciate that they're pushing us forward in this whole privacy thing. I agree. It's uh, it's Uh, really good. Yeah. And, you know, Mozilla right there at the forefront, right? You know, protecting protecting you every time, right? Every time. That's why we love them. Okay. This next topic is, um, you know, it might be a hornet's nest that's been kicked a couple of times. Nobody knows what Audacity is, Dan. Nobody has heard of this program. Nobody. Well, you know, it is a program that we've recommended in the past, so I feel yeah, like we should, nobody, we, nobody we should have a stance on using it. it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I definitely have a stance on it, but nobody nobody started using it, you think? Mm, well, I mean, <laughs> we didn't know about it until uh, the kerfuffle happened, that's for sure. And so... Yeah, I think a lot of people know about it now. Yeah, and... Well, let's face it. It's widely used on multiple platforms, not just Linux. It's on all the other platforms, too, and uh, pretty popular, I think, among all of them. Yeah, I have a track record this episode of bringing up Windows for some reason, but I would imagine that the vast majority of Audacity installs are on Windows. Yeah, it could be. There's not a real great uh, alternative there. And actually, we're going to talk about some alternatives later in the show, so I'll save a little bit of that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so what the whole kerfuffle is, um, Audacity has decided to, well, collect a little bit of your data. and uh, A little bit. Just just some. A little bit. some. But only at certain times, maybe. I don't know. So we'll, uh, we'll give a link to the, uh, the clarification that um, Audacity had with what they're collecting and what they're using it for down in the show notes. Well, wait, wait, wait. A clarification. That means that they had said something before that they needed to clarify. 
They, what 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 do you mean? Clarify. Well, they had kind of retracted some of uh, what they were going to collect and 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 whatnot. They reversed course, and uh, then all of a sudden, it's back there again. So I I think what they what they came out and clarified. Well, okay, before that, uh, they they essentially put out some information that was like we're adding telemetry to Audacity. Mm. That's that's basically the idea. They didn't necessarily go too terribly far into what telemetry was, but well, people freak out when also, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they said the telemetry word. They said the T word, and that's a curse word in 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 a lot of FOSS communities just simply because a lot of that stuff is not necessarily compatible right. with the licenses that we're dealing with on a day-to-day, right? Exactly. Um so they put out, well, we're going to do some telemetry stuff and it came out they saw in one of the early releases of 3.0.3 there was this this line, uh, well, this information that was we're going to we're going to grab some mm-hmm. of this stuff and well that was the flashpoint. That was when um, astute folks looking at what Muse Group is doing to Audacity, they perked up Ooh. at that point. And so dug in a little bit. Right. And give it about 24 hours and every FOSS publication will take that and clickbait the crap out of it. Because uh, you had... Uh, Titles like Audacity is now a possible spyware. Right. Remove it as soon as possible. Uh, I'll argue against the spyware, and here's why I'll argue <laughs> against spyware. Spyware is something that collects your data without your knowledge. Right. And so it's not that. And while I will agree that they fumbled the communication. Oh, for sure. They were pretty upfront that they're going to start gathering data in an opt out kind of fashion right so you're right. opt in in the beginning you got to go in and opt out and everything is cool but um right so well, that was the flashpoint that's that's where this all started yeah and so um one of the deals is um it's it's opt out so it happens automatically for you and, and that's you, a no no yeah no that seems bad right um it it should probably prompt you and say Hey, look, if you want to help us, you know, make Audacity better, click right. here and, and, and submit, you know, trouble reports or, you know, whatever. Like, it should ask you it, at the beginning. Even Microsoft does that. But I the, know. The, 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 whole, the whole point of me bringing it up about Firefox earlier on, which is with their DNS mm. over HTTPS, the first thing they ask you yeah. is, is it cool to keep doing this or do you want to turn it off? Be upfront about it. now. The thing about this, though, is that nobody knows because it's not actually yeah. written how it was going to present itself. Yep. We don't know how it's going to be implemented. It could be like that. It yeah. could totally, that could have totally been the plan. But again, you're in FOSS. Yeah. Everything should be done in the open. Yeah. So if you have an idea to add telemetry, it's usually good to talk about that first and explain how you're going to implement it and you know maybe you don't get uh yelled at all the time right so one of the things that they did retract from was they were the way where they were gonna store the collection potentially and and some of it they haven't retracted from like they were the tools they were going to use before really raised a lot of red flags and now even still so where they're going to store it could potentially be you know, somewhere where you don't want your data stored, 
potentially, I suppose. Right, because the original storage location was going to be here in the U.S. Right. With Google. Yeah. But also in China with Yandex. Right. Yeah. That was the first time the first I time. saw them back down on anything mm -hmm. was that point. And they immediately said, well, okay, it was a couple of days. But they, they, they came back and they said, okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll store it ourselves. We, we won't share it with anybody. Right. And right. So, yeah. Oof. Yeah, that was a, that was a big boo-boo there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, beyond that, what they said is for data collection is it's not going to be as bad as some people are making it out to be potentially. I think the most personal thing that they're going to actually collect is going to be your IP address. And they're not going to use any of this. They're not going to sell any of it. They're only going to use it for, you know, if there's problem reports or, or stuff like that. And probably to know how many installs and things like that. They, you know, they're going to collect that sort of number. Um, but they're not going to sell any of that to anybody else. Right. And I mean, so long as they stick to their word, then that's cool. That's great. Right. But there's another line <sighs> in that pull request that said that, I, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was basically to the effect of, you know, as needed, we'll share this data with law enforcement. Yeah, boy, that's scary. Man, like, what are you <laughs> I gonna, get it. Like, it's... What are you sharing? You're going to share my recordings? I mean, like, how far is that going to go? You, I'm sure you go right to the top with your thinking on once you start sharing with law enforcement and how eager are you going to be to share that data with law enforcement is also what I'm wondering. I'd like to right. see it like compelled by court kind of, you know, subpoena thing before you go sharing my data. Thank you. Yeah. And, and so, so that is part of the clarification that they, they did come back and say, we're not just going to give it to them for no reason. Yeah, thank you. We have we we will be compelled by a court of law. Mm. But you know when you don't have to give them anything is when you don't collect it. You don't have to give it away either. <laughs> exactly, and that point is not lost on me. I mean, you sh that the IP address information should be throwaway data that you do not store for any reason because outside of location to see. Oh, the majority of our users are, are, are in the U.S. Sure. You don't have to store the IP address for any any length of time to nope. just gather that data and just say, I'm done with it. Yeah, you can you analyze can that just, pretty quick, I think. Yeah, You, you could just be done with it mm -hmm. and not actually store it. So the point is not lost on me that they're keeping more than they should. Mm. But, I mean, the fact that uh, as long as they are being truthful, there's no selling, no sharing, and they won't be giving it to any law enforcement without being compelled by a court. So th those were two of the big issues that um, that I saw come out immediately yep. when uh, when when that stuff started to really kind of come out. But in that clarification, and again, here's where we still don't know the whole story. We don't know how they're going to implement this. I don't know if you can just remain offline from the moment you install right. the software. There will be an offline mode that is not affected by the privacy policy at all. So all this IP addressing and whatever, all this stuff does not apply to you if you run it in offline mode. Now, will they you know, prompt you the first time you launch Audacity, launch an offline mode, and then you're never touched by it? Or is it 
you launch it, you're on the internet, you better have the network cable unplugged before you launch it. So you're mm. always in offline mode and then go in and turn it on offline mode. Like, yeah, that won't work for that? us in our scenario because yeah. uh, we're online together talking to each other. You can't disconnect the network cable now. Right. And so uh, I saw, and I think it's going to be, um, I don't think this will be the catalyst. I think we've, we've seen a lot of catalysts for it, but um, there's a lot of naysaying in, I think, Linux communities in general about having an, um, an application-based firewall. Mm -hmm. that both Windows and Mac OS have that yeah. I believe we absolutely need, and this is a great case for it. Well, we have tools that, that can do that. I don't know. It, it's not super easy, though, to, to, you know, you can't just go tick right. a box, right? Um, you know, there's some graphical tools that kind of do some of that. Um, some are better than others. So you can go in there and you can restrict things, but it is not application-based. It is, like, typically port-based. Um and, and and whatnot, right? Yes, exactly. Right, exactly. So as long as you know the ports, you can go into IP tables or UFW or Firewall D or whatever your right. firewall of choice is and restrict that particular port. But I don't feel like that's going to be very useful because it'll probably be over HTTPS or something like that. Yeah, that'll and, be not good. You know, just yeah. just sending a little XML thingamajig something. But instead, embrace these package formats called Flatpak and Snap. Because while they are not an application-based firewall, everybody that talked about this network connectivity thing with Audacity would be happy. Yeah. If you installed it with flat with with Flatpak, you installed FlatSeal alongside of it, and just turned the network Audacity toggle off. Yep. The end. Yeah, that's no, the beauty no of a sandbox, right? You can stay in your sandbox, and you can keep exactly. the application in the sandbox with you. Exactly. So while it's not an application-based firewall, I mean, it's more like pulling the plug. Right. But, I mean, with Audacity, what, do you, what else do you need? You don't, you don't need network. That was it the point not. that a lot of folks were trying to, to, to make was, well, Audacity has not needed network connectivity for 20, 30 years now, so why do we need it now? So, okay, install it with Flatpak, turn it off with FlatSeal, or command line if, you're, if that's your thing. Yeah, uh, you totally can. is... Yeah, Snap is command line only. I don't know of any GUI tool that will do that for you. No, it doesn't really. No, there's nothing to handle the permissions of the application in a GUI right. for a Snap. But it there is doable. There should be. There totally should be. Yeah, though. I think that's a thing that could happen, right? Right. But beyond that, like, so if you're Debian or obviously downstream of that, Ubuntu, um, there's definitely some concern there. And uh, it looks like you don't have to build the application with the network bits uh, enabled at compile time. So I know Debian's looking at this. They, it has to, you know, fulfill the free software guidelines that they have set. And so then obviously it'll flow through to Ubuntu as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a Twitter thread here that we I'll link um, that talks about, you know, you don't need to compile Audacity with the network you know, stuff. And uh, so fear not, uh, you know, everybody's watching out for you anyway. Yeah, that was uh, Hubert Figuier. And he had gone, he's one of the flat pack maintainers for mm. Audacity. And he goes in, took took a look at the code. It's and a deep dive. essentially, yeah. yep, essentially came out with the opinion that, um, well, not not just that, that it, this is not an opinion. This is, this is absolute this is fact. fact at yeah. this point 
that there are environmental variables that you absolutely have to set at compile time for right. this telemetry stuff to actually work. So tick those off and you're good. Exactly. And so what the Debian bug that we that we just talked about, uh, the De- Debian bug report, uh, or I'm sorry, not um, what would he call those things? Bug thingy. Yeah, bug tracker. Yeah, no, so, That's the yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the tracking that, I mean, uh, f- I'd heard that uh, Fedora was looking into this yeah, as I'm well. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Both of those groups, I can almost guarantee you we're going to come back with, the, all right, we just didn't set the environmental variable and then we made the deb or RPM package out of it and then put it in the repo. Easy, right? Yeah. And... Uh, Hubert Figuier is going to do the same thing with the Flatpak. I have no doubt that uh, the folks that are putting the snap together are going to do the exact same thing. Those variables will just not be set. So while... That's the mo- that's the majority of everybody in Linux. I mean, unless you're right. compiling it yourself, um, huh? that's pretty much everybody, honestly. Right. So, it, I mean, if, if you're on Windows and Mac OS, well, you're getting a binary. Yeah. So... You don't have a choice. Uh, you just get what you get. Now, that's where these other cool forks are going to really kind of come in handy for you if you're on Windows or Mac OS using Audacity. You can grab the binary from the forks, which will likely have those environmental variables not set or fully removed, and you won't have to worry about the telemetry. Uh, those of us in Linux, we're fine. Yeah, we're, we're good. None, none of those are going to be set, so we're not going to have to deal with the telemetry even when, and by the way, 3.03 was going to be the first version that had any semblance of telemetry in it, and nobody nobody has that yet. Those are still in release candidate. Mm. So unless you're you're flying on the bleeding edge, then yeah. you've not even seen this yet. But um, yeah, I, I think I think we're gonna be fine. So yep. us in Linux, we're cool. Those in Windows and Mac, keep an eye on those forks. Those will likely be where you want to go if. Privacy is your utmost concern when it comes to Audacity. Yep. So there's a little little drama on one of the forks. Um, it looks like the maintainer stepped down. Yeah, the, this is the main fork. As far as I understand, yeah. this is the most popular fork of Audacity as a result of all of this crazy goings on. Yeah, so this is a crazy story on top of a crazy story. And uh, apparently he's been threatened um, from 4chan folks, which is unfortunate and well, that's uh, always fun yeah i mean people people destroying other people i mean that's that's essentially what it boils down to mm-hmm. and uh i find that unfortunate but uh yeah so that might not be a viable option long term yeah so the the basic backstory to this one is uh 4chan okay well let, let well, me back 4chan. up even, even further so uh <laughs> what um cookie engineer yeah, on cookie engineer. github was the first one to fork, well, one of the first ones to fork this and really get some popularity behind it. Um, he had, uh, did a poll where he put, you know, four or five names. Yeah, he's just naming the thing. It's it's kind of crazy. Right. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to fixing no anything code. yet. No code, no, nothing. We're, just, we're naming it. Yeah, exactly. And so tenacity early on yeah. was, uh, was the, looked like it was going to be the one to win. And then 4chan came in, as 4chan does, um and tries to kind of steamroll the yeah. whole poll and they uh ended up voting up uh Sneedacity. Sneedacity, and, yeah. Yeah, and so Sneedacity is uh it's it's a uh, Sneed's feed and seed Simpsons <sighs> joke from back yeah, in the day but... and right. And, and so ah, funny, it's cool. But what ended up happening was Cookie Engineer decided, well, that that I mean, it's a brigade. Yeah. So they're not they're not true votes anyway. So we're just going to go with tenacity. 
Yep. Whale. Uh, that didn't go too well with the 4chan group. So No, they're noted for fighting back, too. <laughs> right. That, that is all fact. That is all stuff that we can check up on and actually see what's, what's happening. Yeah. Now we get into what there's some unknown territory. Yeah, we can't we can't right. vouch. There's some alleged incidents that have happened, and uh, we can't vouch right. for that. Exactly. But the general idea was after all of this happened, uh, some folks allegedly from 4chan started stalking this person. They, there was a YouTube video out basically doxing Cookie Engineer. Um, then 4chan folks supposedly uh, came to his house, started knocking on his yeah. windows and doors, in scaring person. everybody inside That's the, the weird house. That's thing, right? Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they doxed him. That was the whole deal. Yeah. And then uh, he ended up confronting one of these folks that apparently, uh, allegedly had breached, like uh, apparently there's a security gate or something like that, got inside of that and uh, confronted Cookie Engineer with a knife and yeah, butterfly slit knife. his arm. Yeah. Right, and which which are apparently illegal in Germany. Well, uh, they're illegal that. a lot of places, but yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so anyway, and then uh, so that led Cookie Engineer to immediately say family over this thing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna step down, and we're not gonna deal with this, and I'm gonna let law enforcement handle it. So, but it totally started with a name. Here's the crazy thing: tenacity. we've got so many crazy names in Linux. Like this one was not <laughs> nearly as bad. As as many uh, of the other things are named, so I feel like, uh, it, yeah. Well, what a thing to start off with. Yeah. So anyway, we've got links in the show notes if you yep. want to go see that craziness. But yeah, um, yeah. So uh, th- as far as I understand, though, Cookie Engineer never actually wanted to stay on the project forever. He did um, eventually want to step down, but I, I mean, I imagine this was a catalyst for speeding that up real fast. And I can't say as I blame him. It's a lot of work to lead a project, like, and especially one of this magnitude that, you know, in popularity, um, yeah. you know, being the maintainer long term, you, you really need to get some other people up, up there with you. Yeah, absolutely. So the last little bit on this is um, I was saying that folks that, uh, that, are, are, that, that are on Linux will be safe. From all of the telemetry and stuff like that, unless this is a good, this is a double double-edged sword here. So Simon Peter will be happy about this, but Audacity, as of 3.0.3 release candidate one, is available as an app image. Ho ho! But the Audacity maintainers are handling that, which means oh, that's got everything turned on. The environmental variables are set and compiled, and yeah, you're good. So um, if you are checking out the app image of 3.0.3 RC1 or RC2, which is uh, available as of now, um, I, I, I don't know for certain, but I would imagine that likely we'll have the telemetry on. Yeah. But hey. Get your wire shark handy. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a plus one for app image because, I mean, hey, we were talking about it on the last mm-hmm. episode where we wanted to see more first party app images in general. Well, here it is. Well, yeah. Careful what you ask for. <laughs> I know. Ah, we sure did. Ah, monkey paw right there. So last up, uh, we've got a little feedback that uh, we want to discuss. And, and Leo, you brought this one uh, to the attention. So I'll let you uh, discuss a little bit uh, from what you found. All right. So Jan M. in Telegram had just kind of asked a general question, but uh, I ended up hopping on it, ended up talking about it for a little bit. And I thought it was just something cool to, to kind of bring to the show. So um, 
they say, so this might be kind of uh, might be kind of a foolish topic for some of you, but I always found it strange in Linux. The number of users there is. One of the first things I was told to do on a brand new server as a security check a year ago when I started ops was check for users. Now, I know that I can probably rule most out since they're no login. And what uh, what they're talking about there is at the end of the like Etsy password, you can look and see if they have a shell assigned to them. Right. And if they don't, it'll be like, you know, slash SBIN slash no login or something. And that essentially says you cannot log in. Right. So anyway, so to continue on with the message, can I actually? But still, as a new Linux user, there's no antivirus. So my question upon switching to Linux would be, how do I check for stuff? Check the users, I guess, would be step one or two. Definitely there. And I get presented with 30-ish records. For each in the system I've been told is all about automation. The best I can do is surf the internet for the username and use best judgment. What's your take on this? Is it silly to think this? Well, no, I think auditing the users that are on your system is a really good thing. Um, However, I would like to think that uh, out of the box, brand new, fresh install, those users that you find there are there for a purpose. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're putting some trust into your distribution. And uh, I understand that. But if you compare a fresh install to a running system, you know, I think I think that gives you a good standard to go from. So, right. I think that's a good place to start right there. Look at a fresh install and then look at what you have on, on a running system. Exactly. That was my suggestion, which was take a baseline. Yeah, exactly. Even, even if you've got to install a fresh version of it in a VM or whatever, right. just take a baseline so you know what users are there. That way you're not having to go in and be like, what, what, what is this Avahi user? What is that about? Yeah, who's right? that guy? I mean, and, <laughs> and then you can compare that to your current running list of uh, users. And uh, so the the issue really kind of snowballed a little bit because the focus is really on automation. Sure. How do you make that automated? So without buying a bunch of software. Oh well, Dan, what what do you think? What do you think? Well, there you know, if you're into server administration, there are tools that uh, can handle some of that automation for you and set up your user accounts, you know, automatically. So you but well, they said they were involved in ops. Right. So, so I would probably Ansible or Puppet or, yes. you know, Terraform, one of those things, right, that's creating the machines and configuring them out of the box. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the best way to do it. A configuration mm-hmm. management is the way to handle this. However, well, not everybody decides they want to spin up an Ansible server at home, though. Right. But even doing so, you still have a baseline that you can go from because... You know, you use these automation tools and um, so you've got your fresh install with nothing. Then you've used some automation tools. You can compare those two and see what you've got there. And then if you're really, really paranoid, you can go back in and look at your running system that has all of the things on it and compare that in there, too. So, yeah, you're doing a lot of stare and compare, but I think that's a really good idea in general anyway. Yeah. And so if you're doing this manually without any help of configuration management utilities mm-hmm. or something like that, you ca- you take your baseline, right? The You take a text version of a list of all the users on your system from a fresh install, and then you use the program diff, mm-hmm. D-I-F-F, yep. that's built into pretty much every Linux yeah, system. Yeah, everything, yeah. Yep. And then you compare that to a 
current running list of uh, of things, of, of your users. Yep. And then diff will say, all right, here's the difference between those two files. Right. And then you, this way, yeah, you, as you said, it's stare or compare. You, you're going to have to do that. A little bit. But at the very least, you only see what's different between those two files. You don't have to go see, oh, yeah, Avahi was there before. Avahi is there now. Okay, cool. That's that's worthless to me. This will just show you the stuff that has changed right. since that baseline was taken. Yep. That's a good idea. Definitely. Yep. Um, and you're right. He's right in, in researching what some of these users do. Um, you know, mm. go go look at Google, if you will, or whatever search engine you prefer. Um, go see what some of them do. Like so Avahi, you know, that's for you know the discovery protocol, right? Yeah. And but if you're running a web server, you're gonna have uh, you know, some other users, you know, Apache user, or you know, if it's MySQL, you're gonna have a, a user for that. Like all these services also come with uh users that get put into the system too. So you've got to, you've got to use a little bit of common sense. Like, you know, you installed the Apache web server. So you're right. going to have an Apache user. That's not weird. Right. So you've got to use a little bit of common sense to go along with it. And that's the other thing though, right? Like if you install MySQL, the server is going to, or the, uh, the username is likely going to be just be called MySQL. It is. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. So if if you run into like uh, a user string that is like numbers and letters and gibberish and stuff like that, okay, maybe maybe Start it's to time worry. to look. Sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's dig in to see what has that user been doing. Right. I don't know. And and if they well if they don't have a login, then okay maybe. But yeah, you could start looking through some logs and 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 find it probably relatively quickly. Exactly. Journal control is fantastic, especially for mm-hmm. um you know folks that aren't loving the fact that you have to look through logs and things like that. Uh, it is pretty fantastic. It does let you drill down fairly fairly easily. I mean, if, you, if you're more of a manual kind of person, var log and then all the stuff inside of there, um, usually auth.log will give you a lot of information about who's coming in and out of the system. But, yeah. you know. And, and you know, grep might be your friend on on some of those things to, to find where that user is in the log, oh, too. Oh, yeah. It, it will. Mm-hmm. So what about the second uh, second bit? We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I mean, uh, the antivirus word comes up, and well, does that really thing. help you? I wonder. Like, well, does... it, it's too late, but at least you know that's that's I think what antivirus is good for. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when when any time the antivirus word comes up in any discussion, especially in Linux groups, the first thing, and and as as they said, the first thing. Is Linux users will tell you don't even bother. Yeah. But what Unless if you you're want the files. peace of mind? Well, true. Especially if you're sharing files, right? But, you know, what if you want the peace of mind? What if it's just ingrained into you from the moment you're born because you were born with a Microsoft laptop in your hand that antivirus is integral to the system and is required all of the time? What, what? would you tell someone like that? There are options. There are antivirus options. Uh, you know, ClaimAV is an open source one, right? Mm-hmm. And you can run that. Um, Sophos has a has a Linux agent that you can install. Um, yep. And uh, now Microsoft Defender, if that was your thing. Yep, exactly. So uh, I I think I haven't. There I, may I be others really, too. I, I know there are. There's got to be others, but I know Microsoft has been focusing on Microsoft or uh, Windows Defend. No, it's, it's Microsoft, Microsoft Defender. Defend. I, I forgot think, they yeah, changed. It's know. not Windows yeah, Defender anymore. Not anymore. I heart <laughs> <laughs> Linux. But, yeah, right, right. Yeah, can't call it Windows. We're gonna put it in Linux. But um, 
so Microsoft Defender is a um, I mean because you're in ops I imagine you'll be touching servers mm -hmm. uh, every now and then so Microsoft Defender is something good that will go on a server it's not recommended for desktops yet right but I wouldn't put it past them by the end of the year to yeah. have some kind of beta client ready for testing at least so we can see what uh, Microsoft Defender could do on the desktop. Yep. And so here's the thing. Uh, I think that it is valuable if you are sharing files with other Windows computers, having some antivirus on a, a machine is not a terrible thing because you can clean those up before they get onto the other Windows machines, right. which is a really yeah, good it, idea. <laughs> yep. It's not going to affect you because you run Linux and that's a right. Windows binary, but... You can transport it around really nicely. <laughs> exactly, right? That's that's the scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, so you're really just protecting other people with the, the antivirus thing, not so much that's the Linux it. machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true, it. right? It, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the vast majority of viruses and creepy crawlies out there are meant for Windows or Mac because the, there are just more people on it. Yep. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. Knock, knock. Mm. Hello, Leo. Shall mm, I fluff your pillow? Yes, tell me about the pillow of community. Ah, the Linux community has some fantastic members, and we want to make sure to highlight that. Our podcast showcase this episode has open source voices. So if you haven't checked out this podcast, uh, JT interviews other open source voices, people that are in uh, the open source community. And uh, there's not a lot of episodes there, but there's a few. And uh, what I've heard is excellent. And I love the deep dive into the individuals that are behind the open source projects. Yeah, 15 so far. And so uh, one of the latest ones that I listened to had uh, Neil Gompa. And uh, Neil, Neil, I've, I've had some conversations with and uh yeah it was it was great to to hear that and uh one of the first uh one of the first guests was matthew miller of the fedora project so yeah these these are just amazing talks um and i mean they talk they talk nerdy to you so that's that's always something good it's love it, i love to know how you know these people got their start in open source and, and contributing and i like to hear about some of the latest projects they're working on yep exactly Feel free to send your emails to contact at linuxuserspace.show and we can have a discussion about them. See, I even put that one in Geary. See, I really use Geary, I promise. These, these apps aren't just me throwing random stuff out there. No, they're actually good apps. We appreciate all of our sponsors on Patreon. And if you would like to join them in supporting the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash linuxuserspace. Please follow us on Twitter at Linux User Space to get all the latest announcements for the show and highlights for things that impact your user space. Uh, please join us over on Telegram at linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram to uh, continue the conversation over there. Or, this is where I'm stealing all the feedback lately. Yeah, and you'll see some uh, nice little, uh, you know, screenshots from time to time on, on the distro that we're trying. And uh, sometimes that sparks up a little conversation about that. Or you can head over to our uh, Matrix channel. Um, that room is is definitely growing, and I'm 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 really liking Matrix these days. I don't know about you, Leo, but that's probably one of my favorite platforms. The the red thing is weird, where like the reply to the reply or something, it turns it red. It's that's weird. But I mean, as a chat platform, it's fantastic. There are just some little paper cuts that I would like to see changed up. But I mean, it's good. 
it's really good. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think it works really well. But if you're, you know, not not totally freedom loving, I suppose you can head over to our Discord channel. And, uh, you know, that's pretty popular as well. And, uh, yeah, I'll have a link down there in the show notes. Lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. And like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube where we got some video. And... Hey. Hopefully some enhancements uh, this time. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's there's a little there's a little squigglies. Which way is it? Is yeah, it that way? That down, way down down there, and then down, you know maybe there. some at oh, yeah. at things up there. Oh look at that! Is that one me? I don't know. Maybe that one's me. Yeah. One of those is me. Yeah, you're here somewhere. Yeah, well, <laughs> up there, up up there. Yeah. You ready to focus? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Push focused. them up. I'm, I'm getting there. Go. I got my glasses pushed uh, up. I'm focused now. There we go. Let's focus. Let's focus. Um, you have two eyes. Uh, I do. So we have two apps. That's, that's yeah. the deal. I, I don't know why we did two. Oh, wait. I do know why we did two. I know two. why we did two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we were talking about Audacity before, and some people got spooked. And uh, really quickly, you saw... What are the top 20 best alternatives to Audacity? <laughs> real fast. I mean, real fast. It was uh, actually wrong. kind of impressive uh, how quickly people were ready to abandon ship. Yeah, it was amazing. Or, or, or maybe it was just a bunch of clickbait. But, you know, whatever. Not the point. So we figured we would jump on that bandwagon. And I, I feel like this is less of a uh, jump off the Audacity bandwagon and get on this more than it is you know what 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 happens if Audacity does make a misstep that's just too far for sure. me personally? What would I do uh, for that? I mean, I think we should know uh, what the alternatives are, and honestly, right. there's not a lot, right? There are not a lot of alternatives. There are some uh, people have recommended, but I don't think they are as simple and down to the you know down to the point of what Audacity is. Audacity is right. is a simple application. You can do some light editing, and it has some things, um, but it's very, it's very simple to use, right? I mean, th there are enough Nyquist plugins that we probably should have been paying for Audacity, you know, two hundred bucks mm. each each time because um, of the uh, the amount of heavy lifting it can actually do. Oh yeah, it's very powerful. Um, I mean, but if you, you just you, want a you simple record my thing, it'll do that too. Right. So I mean, uh, that yeah, and that that's that's really really important because Audacity can be super simple, but it doesn't have to be. You can make it extremely versatile. And while there are alternatives that'll do all the things, right? I mean, right. Ardour's yeah. out there, Reaper's out there for fairly cheap. Digital get... audio workstation things. That sounds impressive. <laughs> exactly. But we're gonna focus a little bit more on. You know, what if we had a guest on this show and we didn't want them to have to go through the pain mm -hmm. of dealing with Audacity? And in, in my case, I'm assuming they're on GNOME right. or some GNOME derivative. And my suggestion would be, you know what? Just go install the GNOME sound recorder. Sure. Press the record button and then press stop when you're done. Exactly. I don't care what format it is because, to be honest with you, yeah, would I like a wave? Sure. Yeah, would I like a flack? Sure. And it can do those things. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to just walk someone that doesn't care about their audio through something and just tell them, press that button, press that button, you're done. Well, how long then... will it record for, though, Leo? Oh, my God. Okay. So, 
I had to bring that up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, no, you did. You did. So the last time we talked, um, I mean, this this was kind of something in the making, and we were like, well, what could we use? And and I remembered using Gnome Sound Recorder before. So I was like, you know what? I don't know that it can record like more than just a few minutes at a time. Maybe it'll just stop you at 30 minutes or something. I can't have that. So I turned it on, and we did our, our regular show meeting, and I walked away. Yeah, you forgot to turn it off. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. And I came back the next day and it had recorded 17 and a half hours straight. That's awesome. I pressed stop. I imported it into Audacity like you do. Uh, It took a while because uh, a 17 hour audio file (laughs) apparently takes a little while to load up in Audacity. And it worked. It was all there. I mean, That's impressive. you could hear me rustling around in the room and all that stuff. And then I came back to it and it was still going. So, you know, th- there's no limit. It'll just keep going. It, it does what you going. tell it to do. You press record, it'll it'll record forever. So, and the quality is fantastic. It's exact same quality you would get out of Audacity. It just, it pulls it straight in from your microphone, straight in from Pulse. Um, you can choose a bunch of different formats. I mean, uh, MP3, FLAC, Wave, whatever you want. Right. Um, those those major formats are there, and you, it'll just export it, and you can pop it into Audacity or any other audio workstation and just handle it. So, it in my opinion, if someone were going to sit down and say, I, "I need you to record this real quick," um, that's what I would tell them to get GNOME Software Recorder or uh, GNOME Sound Recorder. And that's a, that's a great solid application, I think. Um, but you know, me coming from a cute desktop environment, mm-hmm. I came up with another suggestion and that's K-Wave. Um, and so it's a, it's a KDE app, as you can probably guess with the K in front of it, like all good KDE apps. And wait a minute, uh, what? Yeah. A I know. KDE app with a K in front of it. I've never uh, heard that. Craziness. Before. Never. K- craziness with a K. Um, <laughs> you did it oh. oh i totally did anyway it's it's a great application i tested that in our in our meeting as well i did hit the stop button when we were done though but it did record yeah. the whole entire time it was like a two-hour deal and it recorded the whole entire time no problem nice. it's a little more cumbersome in the uh in the ui if you will uh, and so the user experience suffers just a touch maybe i'm not sure but once you get used to it i think it would be a fine application to use i don't think it would take too many times to be able to get used to it it's just uh it's just a little bit different um in the way it works yeah and so i loaded the, okay so first off i gotta be truthful here i uh, i loaded it up in linux man i did me mm-hmm. a pseudo app to install uh k-wave and it was yep. like yeah sure but you also got to have these other 90 dependencies and i was like mm, oh that's yeah. too many so that makes sense uh, in Mint, honestly. Right. And so I immediately remembered, but wait, I have a KDE based yep. installation cool. called Chaos yeah. on my laptop. So I figured, all right, you know what? That's cool. I'll go install it over there. So I did. And so what you're talking about with the record thing is you can't just go into K Wave and press the little red circle. You press the little red circle, and that brings up another window, yeah. which you then have to press the little red circle on. And I thought that was weird, but then I started to think, well, that's kind of how Ardour deals with things, a right? A bit, you, yeah, sort of. You got to set you got to set your files up and your formats and all all of those things and in, in your sources. So it does prompt you to basically set all of those things up before mm-hmm. you record. So I can see why it happens that way, 
It's just a it's just a little counterintuitive if you're coming from a different application. Right. Especially, you know, from Audacity or from GNOME Sound Recorder. I mean, the record button does exactly what you tell it to do. It just it just records. So when there's a barrier, I think it might throw you off, but you would figure it out. Yeah, totally. I, think. I mean, yeah, it's not that there's another red button. Yeah. So just press the red button and you and you're golden. The the one thing that I didn't enjoy about GNOME Sound Recorder, and I think it may be because I installed it as a flat pack, was that um, the the sound wave. There is a wave as mm-hmm. you speak goes up and down. It's not as responsive as it is in Audacity or as it is in K Wave, but I mean it's there. Yeah. But I'm I'm on a dark uh, a dark theme, mm. and for some reason the flat pack knew I was on a dark theme, but it didn't change the color of the wave. Yeah, so that's weird. My theme is a dark gray, and the wave is a slightly less dark gray. So while you can see it. You got to squint a little right. bit. And so, I mean, I thought that was a little off-putting, but it still gets the job done. You don't have to see the wave That's to true. get the job done. It's still recorded. It was still great. It's It was still editable. I had no uh, issues other than that yeah. with it. So, so I thought cool, it was really good. cool thing about K-Wave is uh, you can do your editing right there in that application. You don't mm-hmm. need to import it into a different one. Yes. And now GNOME Sound Recorder won't do that. So that that was one of the really cool things I yeah. saw about uh, K-Wave. It, it seemed to me to be like Audacity light. Yeah, it maybe. had effects. It had like um, fade outs. It had um, it had some basic gating. Yeah. And some other uh, oh normalization in there as Which well. So I thought it was actually pretty good. Oh, and pitch shift. My daughter really enjoys pitch shift. Oh yeah. But if you don't need a lot of things, like that's kind of like right where you need to be at. I think. Absolutely. So so there you go. There, there's a super simple one, a mid-grade one, or just use Audacity. Sure. All right. That brings us to the end of the show. Um, sad tear rolled down the cheek, but... Oh, we'll see you again, I promise. Next time, we will uh, discuss our thoughts on KOS or Chaos. Um and how that's been been coming along. I, I, I've been enjoying it, not to give too many spoilers away, but uh, yeah, check out that installer. I think that's pretty cool. How's, how's okay. it been going for you, Leo? Uh, great. Okay. Other than. Okay. What's up with the no blur? I can't blur things. Oh, well. Things are not blurry. So one thing that I have been trying is the Wayland session. Um, Wait, will Wayland fix it for me? It might, because I do believe there is some blur there that I noticed. Ah. So give that a try. Uh, I've okay. got some other comments on Wayland, but that's just Wayland in general. Well, so we'll save that. We'll save those. Okay. So yeah, X11 is the default. That's where yeah. I've been this mm-hmm. whole entire time. I'll swap it over to Wayland and uh, and see if we can't blur our thoughts a little bit by the time we come back. Thank you everybody for listening and for your support. Uh, where can we find you, Leo, on the internet? You can find me at Leo Chavez on Twitter. And you can find me at Casey2BEasy. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. Alright. So you ended up using Audacity today, right? Oh, I, I, I forgot to ask you about the K-Wave thing. Oh, uh, other than, well, I mean, I touched on it. Like, it's cumbersome. I don't know what the yeah. hell happened. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You got me. 
though. No, that's cool. No, I used Audacity. Whatever. <laughs> it's good stuff. Hey, and uh, Jerk stayed with us the whole time, so we got that. Yeah, it looks like uh, OBS did its thing. I'll have to play that one back and see how that turned out, but... Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I All guess right, we well, should stop, eh? Yeah. 